Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, episode 13 of the podcast. That's the show, Pete Forsey. That's my name. Thanks for joining me. Have no fear. I'm not going to talk about Antonio Brown and the Steelers. I'm not going to talk about Big Ben and the Steelers. There's no need, okay? I've already let it be known. Antonio Brown didn't act right, acts like a child. Big Ben, he's not a great leader, could afford to do some things differently. But there's plenty of guys in both corners. There, there's plenty of blame to go around. I'm not going to talk about it. Don't worry. Not on this podcast. We're not going to do it. But we do have some things to talk about in the football realm. We're going to talk about Cardinals baseball. I'm going to get dig a little deeper into their two weeks thus far. And, uh, yeah, we got football. We got baseball. It's the podcast, episode 13. Last week I talked about the Cleveland Browns. I spoke on their culture. I spoke on their culture because they have been breeding a family-oriented culture. John Dorsey has done this. Jarvis Landry has done this. Even Odell Beckham, during his first few weeks here as a Brown, has talked about this. Family, in my opinion, does not work in sports. And it doesn't work in sports because it doesn't work in business overall. Rarely will I ever give credence to cross-analyzing sports. Basketball to football, football to baseball, what have you. But there are some things that are uniform because sports are business, and business as a whole has some things that simply transfer. And that is family businesses, while some succeed, often there are limitations. And often those limitations really lower the ceiling as far as giving measurement to success. Sure, some things can work, but oftentimes... The expiration date comes much sooner than one would believe, and oftentimes it limits what you can do. I bring this up because Magic Johnson, now former president of basketball operations of the Los Angeles Lakers, he resigned just this past week, abruptly doing it, holding a press conference at the Staples Center earlier on this week. I think it's just another example of when you choose comfort over the best decision. Now, Magic Johnson did land LeBron James to play for Los Angeles this past year. Some will say that alone is a success. I could get on board with that. However, if we just wind back the clock and look at it through a clear lens, Magic Johnson, Hall of Fame basketball player, great point guard, was he ever really qualified to be an NBA executive? Did he ever demonstrate what an executive must do when on the job? Certainly Magic Johnson is a very personable individual. He works with a lot of young NBA players, or at least he had to prior to taking this job. He's very personable. He is very active in the LA community, from what I can observe. He has a pulse on what the Lakers are about, And what their identity is. Those are all qualities that could serve him well in a role as president of basketball operations. But please tell me, what did Magic Johnson show in the other areas of an executive? Did he show that he can negotiate contracts? Does he know the rapport between agents, between teams? Does he know the tactics, the strategies? Does he know how to maneuver through public relations and their discord that comes with that? Does he know the administrative duties? How to talk to your scouts? What needs to be done and when? 
how you evaluate, what you should be judging in players, probably the most underrated aspect of executives in front offices in sports is the administrative duties. There's a pile of things that has to happen. You go over to the baseball departments, it's probably bigger than ever across any sport. Football is probably up there too, actually. But also team building. Does Magic Johnson know how to build a team? Basketball, I know, is a much simpler roster construction than other sports. Get the best players. But also, what is financially smart? How is the game trending? What players are more valuable? Where are the market inefficiencies? What are the finances? And then, of course, and again, I'm not a big NBA guy, so I just trust the people that cover this game closely. ESPN, Adrian Woj, I know that's his name. He says that the lifestyle change was the biggest thing for Magic. Magic Johnson isn't flying from coast to coast, patting backs, shaking hands with all his basketball friends. He's not going around the L.A. community like he used to. As a president of basketball operations, you need to be in that building sun up to sun down. You need to be in constant contact with everybody in that office. Now, I am certainly not blaming him for taking this job. I'm sure he thought it would be a very unique and fun opportunity. I put the, the responsibility on Jeannie Buss and whoever else in the Lakers organization makes this decision. They chose comfort. They chose comfort over the best decision. In business, you got to get a little uncomfortable. It's almost better to be consistently and regularly immersed in discomfort. Because that's how you elevate yourself. I am certainly not an advocate, and I'm certainly not a believer, believer that if you haven't done something before, that you can't succeed at it. One thing that kind of upsets me with Richard Sherman, Richard Sherman is always talking about how People in NFL offices don't truly know what players are going through or where they're coming from because they haven't played, at least most of them. And there's certainly some validity to what he says. But the, my problem with Sherman is that he just totally dismisses any account from an NFL league member because they haven't played. I think that, I don't think that that's called for. So in that regard, I'm happy that Magic Johnson got this opportunity. But from the beginning, this was flawed. You choose family, which is how Magic, the entire press conference, was uh, talking about Genie Bus. You choose family. You choose comfort. If this is all kumbaya from the beginning, you can have some success, maybe initially. And maybe you do have some sustained success. But oftentimes you limit yourself. For all of you St. Louis local people out there, I often think of Carl's Drive-In. Hamburger and uh, soda pop shop. Right there in Brentwood slash Ledoux. I love their food, and I'll drop in there every once in a while. It's a great place. But you know what? They only take cash. It's a family-run business. They're very rude, and it's just not a very welcoming place. I go there far less often because of those factors. But overall, they do have a service that is there, so they have some success. But oftentimes, I'm sure they have some people that they don't see as frequently because of the 
because of the poor things that are on the table with them. Lakers, you should have had this from the beginning. Comfort, family does not work. Sometimes you need to make the uncomfortable decision to elevate success. We'll see where the Lakers are down the road. I should probably be clear about something because I'm afraid I'm probably getting a reputation and rightfully so I'm that people are concluding that. So I should begin with this. Last week I talked about the Green Bay Packers. An article came out. I like to call them the air out articles. A writer over a period of time does a lot of research, studying different sources, kind of, you know, timelines everything as far as a, uh, a situation um, that goes on with an organization, team, players, and then he comes out after a while, after a uh, long period of time evaluating. Tyler Dunn did this for Bleacher Report. The subject was the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy. I said last week, I saw the article, got pushed to my phone, and I said, okay, I'm not reading this. I know Tyler Dunn. I've read his stuff. I don't like how he goes about his business. I think he compromises the facts, therefore compromises the integrity of the journalism, and oftentimes it just looks like he's auditioning for his next gig. Aaron Rodgers quite literally took the words out of my mouth. He went on to go talk about the substance of the article. I cannot speak to that because I did not read it. But I want to be clear about something. I'm not in the business of being right. I'm wrong all the time, and I'll happily admit that I'm wrong. But what I will do, and I will not apologize for, is doing research and offering you evidence as to how I come to that conclusion. If that conclusion is unpopular, that's fine with me. I'm not in this podcast. I don't talk about this stuff because I want to agree with everyone. In fact, some of the people that I love to listen to the most are people that I disagree with because I want to be challenged. I want to be forced to think differently because that leads to growth. We're in an era now where we only want to listen to people that agree with us. That's why we have all these fan blogs, all these fan podcasts, and more and more media members at the major networks getting jobs because they sound like fans, which is fine. I don't think that that there is no place for those people. However, what it does is it doesn't force us out of our comfort zone upstairs. It doesn't force us to think differently. I want to be challenged, and I want to challenge others. Have you thought about this? Have you considered that? Now, sports aren't rocket science. It's not, you know, national security. I get that. But it is important to a lot of people. We want to know the inner workings of what goes on with these franchises. That's why we talk about it. That's why sports media, partly, is bigger than ever. So I want to be clear. I'm not happy to prop myself up and say that I was right. Sure, there's some, there's some comfort in saying that, hey, I nailed this. At least I think I did. But really, I'm just wanting people to recognize you have more options than ever. You have more people to consume than ever in sports media. Do your research. Make sure it's credible. Make sure the people that you are listening to, that you're reading, that you're watching, don't take everything at face value necessarily. Do your research. Do your homework. Be smarter. It's on you. NFL Draft is coming up. I think we're actually exactly two weeks away as we sit here on Thursday while I record. Uh, A lot of draft talk. Of course, quarterbacks are our favorite subject. But the thing about this draft is that it's very deep at a lot of different positions. Defensive end, 
there's some offensive linemen that are going to go in the first round. You're going to get some quality back there as well in the later rounds. Uh, you can get some safeties in this draft later rounds. Probably not too many that go in the first, maybe the one or two at the bottom. But really, it's a deep draft at uh, the exception of the most important position, quarterback. But as always, we talk about quarterbacks just because they can affect the team the greatest. And, you know, I talked about Kyler Murray earlier in the podcast, in the earlier episodes, and rightfully so. He's a big subject. Sounds like he could very well go to the Cardinals. Not a sure thing. Could be a smokescreen. And then I talked about Drew Locke because a lot of you guys are Mizzou fans from St. Louis, Kansas City. Uh, you got an interest in Missouri just because it plays your team or Missouri is your team. So I talked about him. But one person I have not talked about and is really amongst those two as far as draft status is Dwayne Haskins. Ohio State quarterback started this past year for the Buckeyes, led them to a 13-1 and record. He had a lot of success, and I was reluctant to bring him up, and really just the other guys, Will Greer, Daniel Jones, because with Haskins more specifically, I felt like I was missing something. Like I have always said, I don't contend that I watch a whole lot of college football. I certainly don't sit down and watch beginning to end like I do the NFL, but... One thing that I do see with Dwayne Haskins just going through, you know, amateur scouting and such is that there's a lot that is just incomplete, a lot that you just don't know about the guy. He certainly has displayed a lot of good things. He's got a good arm. He scans the field pretty well. You know, he's got pocket poise, pocket awareness, and he did lead his team to a lot of wins. He was a big impact player. However, there's some things that you just don't know about him. Game management. He had so many good players around him. The schematics from his offense, particularly, was just mainly space. Find space, hit the guy, play point guard. That's why his short game, that's why his intermediate game is so successful. It's left a lot to be desired or a lot that we just don't know in the deep game. Not to say that he can't do it, but you simply just didn't see him take those shots. He didn't really throw outside the pocket much because he didn't have to. The plays developed so quickly, he didn't have to escape pressure. You don't know if he can face pressure. How does he... How does he react to that? You would think that it would be pretty good. He's got pocket poise. He's got pocket awareness. However, you don't know until that pass rusher is in your face. His accuracy, it's hard to judge. Pretty easy throws. I just don't know about Dwayne Haskins as a first-round pick. I like the player. I think he can play in this league, absolutely. But right now, I think his ceiling is just fairly low. You just don't know what he can be because you haven't seen him do or been asked to do a lot of things. He hasn't played that many games. You look at a lot of the successful quarterbacks that come out of the draft, they play. They've just been through the experiences. That's the one thing Drew Locke has going for him is that he's played in a lot of different games. He's played in blowouts, whether it be in favor of his team or the disfavor. He's played in close games, and he's played SEC opponents for four straight years. That's to his advantage. That's going to build game instincts, for better or for worse. Game instincts can either be in your favor when you play that many games, or they can be at your disfavor. But overall, when you have that volume of games, typically you're going to build some good characteristics, and I think Drew Locke has. But sticking with Dwayne Haskins, my problem is is that with so many teams kind of set at quarterback slash still experimenting with the quarterbacks that they currently have, I don't really see a team that should or would want to give up a first-round pick for him. And I guess I shouldn't say give up a first-round pick, use him as a first-round pick. 
The comparable that I keep being seen thrown around is Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett, a player I like too. I think he's got a spot in the league. He's currently the backup for the Colts. Well, if you think he can be Jacoby Brissett, why don't you just give a first-round pick to the Colts? I think they would certainly take that. They hold Brissett in high regard as a backup and someone that can fill in in a pinch for Andrew Luck if he were to go down or anything were to happen. But if you were to pick up the phone and give a first-round pick for him, I'm sure they would do that. Now, of course, the you know the uh, the counter argument there is that you get um, you get Haskins for five years, potentially four years, plus the fifth year option. But Jacoby Brissett is cheaper. He's making hundreds of thousands of dollars as a third round pick in 2016 than Haskins would be, given where he would take in the uh, in the first round. Now, obviously, that's a lot of different millions that we're talking about there. Whether it's first, six, twelve, or you know thirtieth, but it's still a lot more guaranteed money. So if you were to take Brissett, yes, you could get him for one year, but then you could also approach him with a contract extension if you liked him. And if he sucks, you could move on after this year. I'm just not sold on Haskins as a first-round pick. Second round, sure, take a shot. There are certain teams, though, that I think should do it. Dolphins, if you want to do it, sure, take a shot. Bengals, eh, I don't think I like that. You got Andy Dalton. I think Haskins at this point has proven that he can't really be better than Andy Dalton. If you want to get up and get Kyler Murray, okay, Drew Locke, I can see that, Bengals. But there's only so many teams that are actually in a desperate need of a quarterback right now. I don't see Dwayne Haskins as a guy you take in the first round. Bottom of the second round, I can see teams taking a shot. But right now, too incomplete of a player. Has done really well what he's been asked to do, but it hasn't been much. Had a great supporting cast around him. If you want someone like Dwayne Haskins as your team to start this year, maybe you're the Washington Redskins, trade for Jacoby Brissett. You could probably get him for a first-round pick. You would certainly get him for a first-round pick. You might even be able to get him for less. You wouldn't be tied to him for four years experimentation-wise. You would get him for one year, extend him if you want to. Jacoby Brissett, go get him if you want someone like Dwayne Haskins. We're now two weeks into the St. Louis Cardinals season, and currently I have Game 4 of the L.A. Dodgers series on right now. It's bottom of the second, bases jammed for Harrison Bader, so possibly the Cardinals cut to their 3-0 deficit to the Dodgers. Michael Walk is on the hill. He's given up two home runs already, one to David Freeze and one to pitcher Walker Buehler for L.A. Cardinals got their Sunday lineup out, it looks like. O'Neal's playing left field. He's in for Ozuna. Matt Carpenter's out. You got Jed Jerko drawing a start. Uh, Dexter Fowler's out for Jose Martinez. Arguably, that should be the starter, though, in Martinez. And uh, you got Weeders subbing in for Yachty. It's about that time of year. It's about that time of year. We're two weeks in. Out of the gate, guys can play for two straight weeks because they're fresh. But now we get into that point where you got to give other guys a start, especially when you got this uh, you got this day conclusion of a series to go along with an off day tomorrow. So that's good. You get two days off for your starters. Refresh before you face the Reds uh, out of the country. But the Cardinals overall, um, good start to the year, I think. This has been a big series against L.A., not only just because they're a good team and because you needed the wins, but because L.A. is going to be a playoff contender and it could affect seeding, your head-to-head record. So good for them for taking, at the minimum, three out of four. They will look for the sweep here today. But, um, you know, like I said, I wasn't really too bullish on this Cardinals team coming in. I love their pitching, and I think their pitching talent has definitely been on display thus far. Um, their hitters, I think, has, have a lot of potential, but you're kind of relying on a lot of unknowns. You're relying on some bounce backs, 
And some of that has been to success. However, I do have some skepticism as to how far it can last. We're still very early. But uh, on the ongoing here, very, very solid start for the Cardinals. Um, The hitters. Early on, Milwaukee... um, I'm already forgetting the second series of the year, but or, uh, Pittsburgh. Or early on, the Cardinals were relying on the home run to drive in their runs. However, what they were missing a lot of the times were runners on base. We've seen that shift here recently. San Diego is the same deal. This L.A. Dodgers series, though, we've seen more traffic on the base paths. Like I just mentioned, bases loaded here. Bader's actually just uh, been hit by a pitch, and it's now 3-1 L.A. But overall... We're seeing more traffic on the bases, and that's good for the Cardinals. That's good for the Cardinals because if they hit home runs, you're going to put up a lot of crooked numbers. At first, I, you know, we weren't seeing that. And my problem with this lineup has always been that they just don't seem to change approach too much. There are some guys that do, Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt, Yadier Molina, probably your three most well-rounded hitters, if you will. Two of them are your best, probably. And then Yadi, you know, just takes a real professional at bat. But some of these guys, they simply just don't change the approach no matter what the game calls for or what the situation is. Are there runners on base? How many outs are there? So I've always been skeptical. Can they win in different ways via scoring runs? We're seeing that shift a little bit. That's a good thing for them. However, guys like Colton Wong, Bader, I just don't know. Can they put that up on a consistent basis? Or really, do do they just have really one way to approach an at-bat that works for them? And that's fine if that is the case. However, you're going to have to throw in some platoons there, potentially. Colt Wong is scorching the ball right now. That's good. Looks like he could be moved up in the order, but he is uh, succeeding. He is uh, thriving down there in that eight spot. Shifting down to the, uh, or shifting across to the pitching staff here. A lot of talent. I think we all knew that. Jack Flaherty thrown another gem last uh, last evening. And you got some guys that uh, have had various track records of success. And, you know, there's been, early on, people were kind of questioning whether they were going deep into games. This is the starters. And that was never really the, the red flag for me thus far. Because in Major League Baseball now, the average um, innings per start is 5.1, I believe. And... So when you go like four and two-thirds, when you go five innings, you know, it's just not a really big deal to me if that's how far you go, if you got arms in the back end of the bullpen, which the Cardinals do. They got some talent. They got some guys that have pitched out of the bullpen before. Now the quality is where you get a little bit, uh, you get a little bit shaky. I think the bullpen and the staff at large have just been playing with fire too much. They've had a good series against LA, but overall... So far in the two weeks of the season, they've just been they've been battling behind in counts. They're they're just too they're battling too much, and they've gotten out of a lot of a lot of jams because they are they have a lot of strikeout ability. Just overall as a team, they got a lot of strikeout ability. Whether you're Andrew Miller, Jordan Hicks, Jack Flaherty, I mean guys just that really can get you to whiff. So I think that bodes well for them. But they gotta stop walking leadoff batters. Too many. Whether you're a starter. I think it's really been happening with the bullpen more. You're walking leadoff batters, and that just doesn't, ha- or that just, that can't succeed over 162. You got to cut down on the walks. That was a problem last year with the 2018 bullpen. Cut down on the walks. Keep up the strikeouts, obviously. But really, more than anything, you got to get ahead in the count. You got to put the hitters on their heels. So, Cardinals, good start to the season. 
My main area of concern is still the defense. Like I said, that's what I think is going to keep them out of the playoffs. I'm just not, you know, I don't like it. Marcelo Zuna with probably maybe one of the more, one of the more funny plays you'll ever see. I know he's getting ripped apart on, on the internet and such, but you know, it wasn't for lack of effort. Maybe just, uh, maybe just overdid it there. Right field, Dexter Fowler. I mean, subpar right there. The infield is set now. We got Matt Carpenter with a contract extension. He's average over at third base. Paul DeYoung, eh, I'm not so, so sure about trusting those metrics. But obviously the right side is great. You still got Yadier Molina. Overall as a whole, defense could really cost them. Center field's exceptional, Harrison Bader. But overall there could be some holes that uh, potentially cost them. And if you got if you got pitchers that are walking too many guys, unless you just continue piling up strikeouts, you know, the, the old saying is is that you, you can give up walks if you don't give up hits. You know, if they continue to suppress hits while also giving free passes to guys, well, that's fine, but there better also be some uh, some Ks mixed in there because if the ball's put in play with some of the shaky spots on this defense, you know, it's not going to bode well for the Cardinals. Solid start to the year. Got to tighten some things up, but some good signs overall for the Cardinals down at Bush. So I've talked a little bit about this on the internet largely last week when it came out that he was having surgery or having a procedure done on his wrist for carpal tunnel, carpal tunnel syndrome. Brett Cecil, left-handed relief pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, If you don't follow me, I got a lot to say about this, got a lot to say about uh, pretty much everything else. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Pete4C, I'm also on Instagram, Snapchat, give me a follow there. Brett Cecil was given a four-year $30 $30 million contract by the Cardinals prior to the 2017 season. They were in desperate need of a left-handed pitcher, and they simply overpaid. They overpaid. They gave a lot of money to a guy at that time had never pitched 60 innings in his career. $7 million per season, about roughly seven and a half. And John Mazalak overpaid. It's probably the worst free agent signing that he's had. Up until that point, you could probably say, I don't know, Ty Wigginton? You could put Fowler up in that ballpark right now, but he's had a, uh, a good season thus far in his contract. He's in his third year. However, Brett Cecil, the problem I have is not with underperformance. I can understand someone not living up to expectations on the field. Okay, It happens all the time. It's just part of the deal. Players get worse, they underachieve, they get hurt, what have you. I got major qualms, not with John Mazalak for doing it necessarily. Everyone has a bad deal. What is with Cecil himself? I mean, there are so many things that are in this guy's control that are just derailing his time with the Cardinals. Let's wind back the clock to his very first appearance, or maybe it was his second appearance. I know it was the first series because it was the Chicago Cubs, reigning champs at the time, 2017 at Bush. There was mysteriously, to this day, it hasn't been explained, a baseball that stuck to the chest protector of Yadier Molina. He actually was bent over. He was horizontal, and the ball did not leave his chest protector, did not fall to the dirt beneath him. No one knows what was going on. Yadier Molina, after the game, when talking to reporters, said, I don't know how that happens. He was asked if he used his pine tar, pine tar, excuse me, a foreign substance which is banned in the game of baseball. 
Yachty dismissed that question immediately, said, no, I would never do that. But you know who wasn't found that day in the locker room? Brett Cecil. Yeah, I don't know if many are aware. Wouldn't be surprised if you're not. But when it comes to media responsibilities and players, there's an unwritten rule that if you play in that game and you're a pitcher, you're supposed to wait around because the media most likely wants to talk to you. If you play in the game, stick around, answer questions. Oftentimes, a lot of players go home. If you're an everyday guy, you're not expected to stay every single time. Matt Holiday routinely would be in and out of the locker room, or out of the locker room, I should say, five minutes. He once was timed. He was out of the locker room five minutes after the game. That's fine. Matt Holiday was a regular. He doesn't have to stick around every day. But if you're a pitcher, particularly if you're in a game that has something as wacky as that, and you duck the media, that's pretty low. You're a dimwit. Brett Cecil went on to say, well, you know, it was the first time that we had a day game. I had the opportunity to be with my kids. Yeah, bullshit. Okay, you ducked the media. That's low. Wasn't exactly a great start. I gave him a pass. I said, eh, you you knew you shouldn't have did that. Sounds like you were trying to avoid something. Whatever. But you know what? When you compound that with the fact that Brett Cecil, from the moment he took the mound... You could just tell he he didn't really look like uh didn't really look like how he should have. He didn't really look like a guy that was in condition to pitch for a major league baseball team. Now the eye test isn't everything, okay? Pablo Sandoval, I've always contended that, you know, he can play with some additional weight. Bartolo Colon, another big another big guy. The eye test doesn't do it. But over time, with Brett Cecil, I've noticed that when watching him pitch, he doesn't really have a whole, uh, he doesn't really have good core balance, okay? He doesn't seem to be functioning right out there. Now, I can't put a finger on exactly because I don't see him every day and how he trains, but there was seriously something wrong with his conditioning. So what did he do this year? He showed up 25 pounds lighter. Good for him. My question is, why the hell did you have those 25 pounds already? Did you not know that you didn't need that. You'd been in the big leagues for a long time. I believe it was about six years prior to 2017. You're just now finding out that, hey, maybe I should uh, tighten some things up. Maybe I should train a little bit better, eat a, eat a little bit better. And then lastly, again, I talked about carpal tunnel syndrome. He just had a procedure on that last Friday. To be clear, this is not a... Uh, it's not a common injury for, for pitchers. Okay, carpal tunnel is something that happens to people that st- uh, sit all day and are on laptops. Or it's something that ha- happens to people that play video games, which is exactly what Brett Cecil has been known to do. Jose, uh, Jose Ortiz, formerly of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he unearthed this at the end of the 2017 season. He says that you can find him regularly in the Cardinals clubhouse, Brett Cecil, playing video games. In fact, he would bring his, you know, his, his Fortnite or, you know, PlayStation with him to, uh, on road trips. Brett Cecil says that he's thrown far more baseballs than video game, video games that he's played, controllers. So he doesn't think that the video games had anything to do with it. Yeah, well, Brett, you know, I, I believe you that yeah, you probably have thrown more baseballs. 
than you have played video games. But if you do pitch that much as a professional, maybe you shouldn't be compounding that with video games that often. That, that, that sounds like probably a solid approach, in my opinion. So, you know, Cardinal fans, I'm sure, are upset that he's been underperforming. Probably a little upset that Mazzaliak gave him that money. Probably it, Again, it wasn't the smartest move at the time. But you know what? Point the finger at the man himself. He's not controlling a lot of the things that he can. He's stuck in the media. Did that once. That was a big no-no. Hasn't done it na- uh, to this point that I can recall. He's not showing up in shape. And it sounds like he wants to play, uh, you know, Modern Warfare or Grand Theft Auto more than he wants to worry about his performance. Brett Cecil, time to shape up, buddy. You got two years left. What do you have to say now? Major topic of this week has been social media. We like social media. It's fun. I enjoy it thoroughly. I can send my thoughts to people that I know and people that I don't know instantaneously. It's very cool. Whatever I have to say, whatever I'm thinking at a moment, I can send it. It's very fun. I think it's a great thing for a lot of different people. But the topic in sports has been relative to athletes and social media. You know, here in St. Louis, there was a big topic with St. Louis Blues goaltender Jordan ben- or, uh, Joel Bennington. He's having a great season. However, some, uh, some insensitive racist tweets resurfaced this week. Um, it's not the first time that's happened to an athlete. Josh Hader, it happened to for the Brewers. Trey Turner, the Washington Nationals. Really, the list just goes on. Old things resurfacing, and it just begs the question, athletes, should they be deleting their social media accounts and starting new ones? And I think that's definitely that's probably the best thing you can do. Every athlete, if you're a college amateur and you have aspirations, or if you're a probable player to make a living out of that sport, you should do that. Just don't even give the ammo to anyone out there to potentially resurface something that you're embarrassed about, whether it's insensitive um, or, you know, whether it's just plain wrong to send something like that. I know that society is becoming more understanding of these things. While we don't dismiss it, while we don't say that it's acceptable, we do say that depending on the circumstance, time of that individual, substance of the tweet, that we are willing to move past it if the proper uh, steps are taken thereafter. However, I want to talk about just the subject at large and athletes and social media. I am of the believer. And again, I use social media for a lot of things. I use it just to send my thoughts. I use it to put this podcast out there. So I don't want to sound hypocritical when I say this. But if I were an athlete professionally, I think the best thing to do would be not even have any social media platforms. Because I think too much harm can come from it than good. We love to point out the good from it. J.J. Watt is probably the most shining example. Back when the hurricanes were hitting Houston and other areas of the country, he raised a lot of money and was great, and he should get all the recognition for that. However, that's the exception. Even the smaller things are the exception. There's just too much harm that comes from social media. People, the majority, the masses, they use social media as an unpoliced environment because they know they can get away with things. There's no circumstances. There's no repercussions. And oftentimes, people that say bad things, they say those things because, one, they don't mean them, but two, they just want to get a reaction. It's not acceptable. It's still hurtful. It's still wrong. 
But ultimately, athletes should just cut that stuff out. Don't give ammunition to anyone. Don't pay attention to it. It's poison to your mind. It's not conducive to what you have to do. Professional athletes have a lot on their plate. They have a lot of time they have to put in for their for their job. I don't even know how could you find the time to, to check that stuff. Everyone needs an escape. But I feel like I would want to channel my energy in, in other areas, catch it up with friends personally through different things like text message, phone calls, maybe setting up different uh, appointments in my other businesses. I wouldn't want to look at social media. And if I had it, I would just let someone else handle it. A-Rod's got a team of like six guys, I think. I'm, I'm curious if A-Rod even does the social media himself. Now, he puts himself in the videos and everything, but I don't think he crafts the captions of the Instagrams. I don't know if he actually sends out the tweets. If you're going to do it, let someone else handle it. That way you don't have to read the disparaging messages. Don't worry about what people are saying. Don't put that in your mind and put more pressure on yourself. There's already enough pressure to perform. There's already things you need to cover as an athlete. Different things to research, study, analyze, up your game. Those are all just distractions. For other people, where it's conducive to what you do business, yeah, use social media because you have too much to gain from it. Athletes, I've yet to be sold that they have a lot to gain from it. I understand escape. I understand being part of the rest of society. But social media is the one exception. There's just too many glaring examples. I don't think athletes should have it when you're a professional. Plans for the weekend. Because I don't have football, I don't have any games to watch. The AAF has folded. Uh, NFL doesn't start games, obviously, until the fall right now. It's just uh, offseason officially beginning here. But I need some football. Right now, my fix has been limited to the daytime when the baseball games aren't going on, with the exception of, obviously, you know the, the getaway days. I've been reading about football. I just checked out Ian O'Connor's book, Belichick. Uh, that's a real big one. I can't wait to find out what's, what, what's in there. Ian O'Connor does great work for ESPN. Never read a bad piece by Ian. And then also, I'm finishing up Amy Trask's book, formerly of the Oakland Raiders, held various roles in their organizations for close to three decades. She wrote a book about her time with the Raiders along with Mike Freeman. Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report. You know my thoughts on Bleacher Report as a whole. Mike's better than a lot of the guys out there. I don't like his columns that much, but I think his book here with Amy has been great. Amy is one of the best executives to have been in the NFL. I'm really, uh, really enjoying her story uh, in her book, Negotiate Like a Girl by Amy Trask. Check it out, Negotiate Like a Girl. It's a good book and uh, tells you a lot about Al Davis and the different things that go on with the Raiders. But this weekend, this weekend, I'm going to be checking out a women's football game, a women's tackle football game. Uh, I have a friend who plays on the team. She's been doing this now for, I want to say, close to five seasons. She started out in Tennessee. Now she plays for the Kansas City Titans women's football team. It's actually some fun stuff, all right? And I, I want to watch some football. I haven't seen it uh, for, for months now, dating back to the Super Bowl. I want to check out some football. Uh, so we're going to have the St. Louis Slam hosting the Kansas City Titans at St. Mary's High School at 7 p.m. I'm going to check that out this Saturday. Check out their website. It's got some good football. Uh, some real creativity, and if you need a fix, that's a good way to get it. If not, hit me up on social media, follow me, at Pete4C, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Have a great weekend. Do what you do. Let your hair down. We'll see you next week.